Luke 23, verse 55, reading down to chapter 24, verse 12. If you're ready, let's read the word of the Lord. Actually, I'm going to start. Let me start two verses earlier, verse 53. This is speaking of Joseph of Arimathea. It says, then he took it down. What is it? The slain body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you would bless the the reading and the preaching and the thinking upon the meditating, the receiving of your word. I pray, O God, that by your spirit and his irresistible power, you would plant your word down deep in our hearts. I pray that we would go home from here marveling at what has been done, but not skeptical in any way. I pray that our convictions, as great as they might be, may only be deepened and strengthened today. And may our worship continue and may it increase because of the word that you have spoken and what we hear today. We thank you for our Lord Jesus, slain by death, the God of life, but no grave could e'er restrain him. We praise you because he is alive. We bless your name and ask Again, please give to us your spirit. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Was Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, raised from the dead? Was Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, raised from the dead? Not in some non-literal, non-actual, non-earthly, mystical, or even merely spiritual sense. But was he literally raised again to physical life? Was his literally crucified 
actually dead body actually resurrected? Or is Christianity a sham? If Jesus was not resurrected, then all of this Christianity is a complete waste of time, it's a waste of space, and it's a waste of all this energy that we are putting into it. It is a sham and it's a shame and we are a sad and pathetic people if Jesus is not raised from the dead. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus is not raised, we are still under judgment. And if we would unite ourselves by faith to this Jesus who died and was not raised, then we will perish with Him. But if He was resurrected, then to be united to Jesus by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, is to be nothing less than a new creation of God. To be seated with Him in the heavenly places. To have God Himself as our inheritance. And to be His. And when we are raised, Physically, as He was, and gloriously changed as He was, we will reign forever with Him if Jesus Christ was raised. So today, we are going to look at the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to do so through the eyes of the first witnesses to His resurrection, which... In all honesty, honesty speaking historically, is surprise, surprise, a group of women. Let's begin with verses 55 and 56 again. The women, it says, who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Now, who were these women? Luke identifies them in verse 10 again. Look at verse 10. It says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, note that name, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them. We mostly forget that this group of women had followed Jesus all throughout His ministry. They had been with the twelve eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus Christ and all of His works of wonders ever since he was in Galilee. They were fully devoted to Jesus and supported him by means of their own wealth. Where did Jesus, you know, how could he continue on? It's not like he was turning uh, water into wine every day or coming up with, you know, food every day out of thin air, so to speak. That's not how it happened. He was provided for. He was supported. And it was a group of women who did did it. Listen to Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. This is speaking still of Jesus' ministry in the north in Galilee. It says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. They followed Jesus all the way. 
in his ministry in Galilee and down south as he sets his face on Jerusalem. They do not leave. They do not leave when he is hung up upon the cross. And they are right there still when all others have gone and his body is taken down. What agony these faithful women must have felt as Jesus suffered upon the cross. And as his body gave in to the suffering and the light of his eyes finally went out. As they watched as men came to the cross and pulled the nails from his hands and feet. And as his head just flopped to the side. And his arms and legs were uselessly limped and his mouth hung frozen open. What agony they must have felt. Do you think it was a peaceful scene? Or do you think there were flies? Do you think it was serene? Or do you think it was for real? What agony these women felt. Jesus' body is torn and it's filthy. And yet they don't leave. Not for a second do they leave. They continue to follow as Joseph, and we know from John's record, Nicodemus with him, brought the body down from the cross, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and carried Jesus' body to the tomb that Joseph owned where no one had ever yet been laid. So it says again, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. It was too late on Friday to prepare the spices and ointments to honor Jesus in his death because the Sabbath started at sundown and they must rest according to the commandment. And we might think, well, that's not that big of an observance. Why might Luke even mention that part? But think about what they are experiencing. Think about the fact that they have no answers to what has just happened. No answers to what God has allowed, full of questions. And yet maintaining faith in God, although they do not know what He has done. Maintaining faith in God enough to obey His command. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. You know how it feels when you wake up after a day of experiencing something terrible, whether it's a a personal experience of your own or you have heard some horrible, tragic news that just hits close to home. And so that night, it's a fitful sleep that you have. And when you wake in the morning, there's a pause in your brain. There's just a little pause. And then it all comes back to you that the darkness, the horrible thing that you have heard or experienced has not been just a dream. And don't you know that's how the women woke early on that Sunday morning? Rousing each other from that fitful sleep that they were in. They did not choose to lie in bed the rest of the day. And wouldn't you be tempted to? Just to stay in bed, just to hide away, let the storm pass over Let's just stay in bed all day. Let's cry. Let's mourn. But they didn't. They got up and they were determined to honor Jesus with first light. 
they were going to do the next thing that was the right thing to do as soon as they could do it. Though all the world had turned against their Lord, they would not. Though so many of His followers had, not that they had left Jesus for good, that that is not their intent, but they're in hiding. And these women, they're not going to stay in hiding. They're going to go out and they're going to publicly honor their Lord, no matter what may come. I think of Joanna. His name just mentioned twice in the Bible. We saw it in Luke 8. We see it again in chapter 24, verse 10. Joanna. Think about her. Her husband's employer had a hand in the trial of Jesus. Her husband's employer is Herod Antipas, who held Jesus in complete and utter contempt and who scorned Jesus with his soldiers. That's her husband's employer. In fact, her husband is one of Herod's chief employees. I mean, just put yourself in Joanna's shoes for a moment. Your spouse's employer publicly disdains Jesus, is willing, very willing, to see him dead. And he happens to be the governor of the state. What are you going to do? From Friday morning to Sunday morning, Joanna honors him, honors her Lord. You know, this has been the pattern of Christian sisters all through the history of the church. Having this tremendous courage and constantly giving to their brothers, although it has not been given to women, to teach the men in the public gathering of the church, they yet teach their brothers by their example ever since the beginning. Women of courage. Women of backbone. Women who would not lay down and die. Women who would not join with the others and hide, but who would publicly honor their Lord. So I want to say to my sisters, continue the pattern. I believe my sisters at All's Chapel do it very well. Very well. And we have a, a rich heritage of the, the sisters at All's Chapel doing it very well. Honoring the Lord. Continue it. Continue it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Though all the world dishonors your Lord, you honor Him. Honor Him. And be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might together. The world may mock you, but Jesus is your life. Though all the world forsake you, you have the promise of God that Jesus will not fail you. He will not fail to take you in, though all the world would turn you away. So be faithful. Continue on. Continue the pattern. Keep up the walk that these women began. They arrive at the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The last thing that they thought they would find is that there would be nothing to find. But that's what they find. Nothing. Is this some kind of cruel joke? There is a moment between verses 3 and 4, between the first half of verse 4 and the second half, 
where they have a moment to think about this. What is going on here? Is this some cruel joke? Where could they ever find the body of Jesus? How could they find it? Would they ever find it? Is there even a body to find? Have the authorities taken the body away and reburied it somewhere hidden? Or have they taken it away and destroyed it? Is there a body to find? Is there a body to to honor, to touch, to, to see? There is. There is a body to find, to see, to bow before, and to honor. But not a body that is dead. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Has an angel ever spoken more exciting news? I mean, these two, they're thinking... I mean, that's grace of God that they were chosen for this job, but that's not the point here. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. These women were right to seek Jesus. They were not right to seek him among the dead. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Listen, if you think that Christianity would still be worth doing, if Jesus had died and stayed dead, then you're not doing Christianity right. We're not talking about a system of ethics that would be sound in any way. Instead, If Jesus is not raised, we're talking about a house of cards that is built on grievous lies. Everybody who dies stays dead, physically speaking, bodily speaking. They stay dead. Just several weeks ago, last month actually, an Italian woman died. She was the last person born in the 1800s. Born in November 1899. And she died just last month. Everyone born before 1900 died and bodily has remained dead. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. And the world, so many people in the world, would put Jesus in the same category as the other founders of the world's various religious isms. He's like Muhammad, they say, of Islam, or Confucius, of Confucianism, or the Buddha of Buddhism. That's Jesus. But Jesus is alive, bodily, actually alive. And we can say to the world with joy, Why do you lump in the living with the dead? How can you regard in the same category the living as the dead? Because our Lord Jesus Christ is alive. Slain by death, the God of life, but praise God, no grave 
could hold our Lord Jesus Christ. He is alive. These women immediately recognize that they are in the presence of these heavenly beings and they bow down. Just imagine for your second that you're amongst them and what you would be thinking as these angels appear. My best guess, if I had time to think of it, my best guess would be that God had sent these angels in order to reveal the next phase of his plan now that Jesus, his man, had died. And I'm thinking, what a privilege it is to hear the next phase of the plan of the God of heaven now that Jesus is dead. But there is no next phase of the plan because Jesus has always been the plan and Jesus is still the plan because He is alive. It is still the plan and the purpose of God to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth in Christ because Christ is alive. Several decades after this, these are the words that the Apostle John would hear from the risen lips of the Lord Jesus. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? He is the one man who died and reversed his own death. God has life in himself. And eternally, he gave it to his son to have life in himself. And he gave to his son the authority to lay his life down and dying the authority to take it back up again. That's who Jesus is. By the way, if those, if that seems strange or perhaps even a little foreign to you, John 5.26 and John 10.18. As the Father has life in Himself, so eternally He gave it to His Son to have life in Himself. And He gave Him the authority to lay His life down and having died, the authority to take it back up again. And all those who believe in Him, who leave behind all of the vain hopes of this world, all the vain hopes of this age of death, have His life too. We have His life. By grace alone, not by works. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Him alone, by virtue of our union with Jesus, all that He did and all that is His is ours too. Every spiritual blessing in the heaven, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in Christ. Verse 8 and following. And they remembered His words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. That shows you right there, and we'll talk about this more in a moment, 
what men in that day thought of the testimony of women. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That Peter runs to the tomb in this moment and marvels at what has happened does not mean that he believes in the resurrection of Jesus. He just believes that, oh yeah, the women did find the right tomb. I was kind of doubting that. And it is empty, just like they said. And he marvels at what has happened. We know that he did not yet believe because John's record tells us very clearly that when he looked in the tomb, went in, finally emerged, went home, he did not yet believe what the Scriptures said. But there's one element here, this little incidental detail that has him pondering what might have happened to Jesus. The linen cloths in which Jesus were wrapped so tenderly, carefully, are no longer on the body. And why in the world would that be? Because if the authorities had moved back the stone and had taken the body of Jesus, taking the time and the care to unwrap the body from its cloths would only increase the risk of their detection. You're in a hurry. You're in a hurry. And nobody with nefarious intentions against Jesus and his followers, again, would have taken the time and the care to unwrap the linen cloths and put them to the side by themselves. And as John's record tells us, fold everything up quite neatly. Listen. Christianity is all over the globe. And the record says that there are more than a billion, well over a billion, maybe even approaching two, who would claim to be Christians. But if the resurrection accounts are not true, I will say to you that this whole Christianity thing is incredibly ill-founded. It really is. If the resurrection accounts are not true, I want to give you four things, and I could give you at least twice that and probably more. Let me give you four things that the apostles messed up royally if the resurrection accounts of Jesus are not true. Number one, if you are writing this story as you go and you're fabricating all of this, please make Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their resurrection accounts match up a lot better than what they do. Seriously. Because... The resurrection accounts have in their secondary details, not their primary details, their secondary details, a lot of seeming contradictions. And please note and highlight, put in stars, everything that word seeming, because I believe in the inerrancy of the word of God. Every word is true, not a word fails. But if the the accounts were not true, what would you have? I don't know if you've ever compared the accounts before, but what would you have? The accounts would match up very, very well. If there's collusion happening, the writers are getting together, the apostles put their minds together. I mean, seriously, the accounts would match up much better. So what does this tell us? That there are secondary details that seem to contradict. It tells us that the resurrection accounts are based on a host of eyewitness reports that agree perfectly in the primary details and in the secondary details 
are not contradictory, but complementary. And not only that, but in typical apostolic form, the resurrection accounts are not written strictly chronologically. I think especially in John's account. But the accounts are literarily composed. They love to write, the apostles, uh, especially Luke, especially John, all of them. But they they want their works to be literary. So they compose them literarily and they arrange them thematically. That's the way they do things. Now, if these accounts are fabricated, well, let me put it this way. There, this is the second thing. On one matter, all of the accounts are silent right where we wish, would wish that they would speak up. If the resurrection is fabricated, then at the very least you would have one of the accounts, if not all four of them, telling us the details of the resurrection. But nobody does. All four accounts are silent on the actual details of the resurrection. No one reports it. Because not one of the believers was there as a witness. I mean, if they had been there, they would speak about feeling the ground trembling beneath their feet. An angel coming down from heaven and rolling back the stone. And they would talk about seeing Jesus triumphantly emerging from the darkness of the grave gloriously alive. But that's not the way they report it. Because not one of them was there. That would have made a hair-raising story. More, perhaps, compelling story. At least on the surface of things. But the truth is, they weren't eyewitnesses to the actual resurrection as it happened, but witnesses to the risen Jesus after the fact. And they told it as it happened. They told it as it happened. Third, if you are a first century apostle, pushing a mythical resurrection for personal gain or political group gain, why would you, as a man-disciple, agree with the other men-disciples to portray yourselves as such cowardly dunderheads while the women of the group are running smart laps around you and have the guts in the family? Why would you do that? In a society that marginalized women across the board, you would not write this. And you certainly would not make it a primary detail in all of the accounts. All four of them speak of this. That the women are in public honoring the Lord and the men are in hiding. You would not make this a primary detail in the accounts unless you were being completely honest about the way things went down that Sunday morning. And fourth, again, women, seriously? Because, listen, the first testimony to the event that changes the history of the world comes from women. And I'm not mocking women by no means, but I'm putting this in the historical perspective. Did you know that not a single word of their testimony concerning the resurrection of Jesus would be admissible in any court in the Roman Empire? 
because the testimony of women in court was automatically excluded. Automatically excluded. I just started reading a book about the Klondike Gold Rush from the late 1890s. It's pretty fascinating stuff. And, you know, it's quite possible that the first gold that hinted at a mother load actually came from a native woman who found it in one of the creeks off the Klondike River in the Yukon while she was doing laundry. It's possible. Very possible. But it's not in the record. And it wasn't in the first reports of the gold. Why? Because she was just a squaw. Racist and sexist attitudes of the day automatically excluded her from the first reports that would get people to believe that there was gold in the Klondike. If the apostles were colluding on the details of the resurrection story and plotting how they could make this story advance and win the empire's favor for them, the women's testimony would not only not get into print, it wouldn't even cross a single one of their conniving minds. Not a chance. And it is in print to show us that they were not conniving at all. But every word is true. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a house of cards built on the shifting sands of their ever-changing lies and stories. It is the word of truth. The resurrection of Jesus is the word of truth. And it is the good news to salvation for everyone who believes. So the women remembered his words and they ran back to the apostles. His words, his words. Oh, yes, what he said, I remember now. It makes sense now. So that wasn't a proverb. He wasn't telling a parable. He was actually speaking literally. With joy, they go back to the apostles and fear and fear. But listen, if those words proved true, that he would die and on the third day rise again, then not a single word he says will fail. Not a single word. It is the Word of God. It is the living Word of the living Lord who is over all. And you and I can trust all that He, we don't just say said, because He is alive and it's the living Word. Every word He says we can trust. Not only must you trust it, but you can trust it. With all of your heart, stake everything you have upon what Jesus says. Because it's the living word of the living Lord. So remember His words. Hide them in your heart. Believe in them. No matter what the world says, no matter how much they mock, let us believe in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and honor Him in our lives and honor Him in our deaths. If Jesus died and He lives, here's the question. What or who are you living for? If that man died and now He actually bodily lives, by virtue of His resurrection and everlasting life, 
Who or what are you and I living for? I mean, is there anything where we would say, yes, it would be reasonable if I lived for that, not for Jesus, not for his kingdom, not for his reward, but for the world. The world which all will die and fade away. I mean, that's not reasonable at all. Let us live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at dawn, on the first day of the week, Jesus of Nazareth, actually dead, lived again and emerged from the tomb to never return. He rose to deliver from sin and death all who will turn from every vain hope of this world and put their hope in Him. Listen, for all of you who have believed, who do believe today, He is in you and you are in Him. He is alive in you and you are alive in Him. He could not lose his life to perish, and he cannot lose you. All glory and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, and he alone. Let's pray. Father, we owe that we live in Christ all to your grace all to your wondrous love for us. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive by faith in Christ. By grace we have been saved. It is not of ourselves. It is not of our works. By grace we have been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You being rich in your mercy, have chosen to pour out your kindness on us, even to giving up your Son unto death, that alive again we may live in Him and forever with you. So we praise you and we worship you. And I pray, Father, that if there is a single heart who is not one to Christ, they would be convinced and they would be awestruck by His glory and would come to Him and bow down and give up their life to Him. Lay everything down. Put everything aside. Vain hope, sin, all of the rest. May our hope, our trust be in Jesus alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.